So thank you for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. We're joined by Laura Stegman. Laura will be reading to us from Summer of Luck. Laura, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Yvonne. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm really looking forward to this. So we're just going to dive right in. Could you please tell us a bit about Summer of Luck? Yes, I'm happy to. Summer of Luck is my debut novel. It is for middle grade audiences, kids that are 8 to 12, around that age. And I think adults will enjoy it too. It's a story of three kids finding their way to self-acceptance with the help of a ghost who haunts a magical carnival. So it's a story of three kids, like I said, Darby, who is 11. She stutters and she's very uh, intimidated by her mom's criticism. So she doesn't like to say much. And then Naz, who is 10. And Naz is from Morocco. He and his mom just are spending the summer in the United States. And although he speaks French and Arabic, he is just learning English. And our third character is Justin, who's 12. And Justin just lost his dad a few weeks before the story starts. And he's in a lot of grief over that. And without much of a way to express his grief, he stops talking. All three of these kids have issues with communication, but they all end up at the same summer camp. And they start hearing this funny calliope music, that, like the kind of music that's from a carousel. And when they meet and they hear that music, all of a sudden, they can hear each other's thoughts and they can communicate that way. So their struggles with communication verbally don't stand in their way. And they are really baffled by this, as anybody would be. And they realize that this funny music that they're hearing might be coming from an abandoned warehouse next to their camp. So they get together and they sneak away. And when they get inside the this abandoned warehouse, it bursts into this magical carnival. They see all these amazing rides and these things that kind of look like an old-fashioned carnival, something that probably wouldn't even exist in, in the present day. But they kind of go in and they're very drawn in and they know there's no danger. They're very excited to see what they see. And they meet Leroy Usher, Carnival King, which is what L-U-C-K in the title stands for. And Leroy Asher is a ghost. And he enlists them to help him with a problem that he has, reuniting his adult children who are feuding. He asks them to help him with that. And in return, he helps them find their voices. That's the overall story of Summer of Luck. Oh, how delightful. Could we hear from the book, please? Yes, I will start with the very first chapter where Darby is still at home and packing or getting ready to go to camp the next day. So we get a little view into Darby's home life and sort of understand why she's so embarrassed about her stutter. Chapter one, the scrape of a sliding door sent 11-year-old Darby McAllister diving back into the swimming pool. Underwater, her mom's scolding couldn't touch her. She held her breath for as long as possible. 
But once she came up for air, the voice from the second story deck delivered its predictable reprimand. Darby, I already told you to get ready for writing. Out of the pool now. Oh, mom. Darby stopped short. She gave it another shot, hoping mom hadn't heard her stutter. I'd rather swim. (sighs) Squeezing her eyes shut, she waited for the response to land like a blow, the way it usually did. Would it hurt as much as the muffled laughter from new students had yesterday when she'd stumbled over reciting her writing academy safety rules? Aren't you listening? Her mother's volume rose. And speak slowly. The door banged shut. Scrambling out of the water, Darby stuck out her tongue in her mom's general direction. She ran a towel over her reddish-brown curls and drifted into the house through her dad's open studio door. Hi, sweetie, he said. She kissed his head, then hung across his chair as he rubbed an eraser over the foot of a dancing female figure on his sketch pad. One more day before you leave for camp, he added with a wink, flicking off a few droplets that fell from her hair onto his shoulder. Darby brightened. Last summer, her buddy Monica never, ever made fun of her stutter. No one had even mentioned it. And she rode Camp Inch's horses for fun, the way it used to be before trophies mattered. To mom, anyway. She sprinted upstairs to change, relieved that the smells emanating from the kitchen meant that they'd be eating home tonight. The memory of last night's misery at the restaurant still stung. After the third time her mom had asked, have you decided? Darby lowered her head, convinced everyone in the place must be looking her way. Frozen with uncertainty, she could have sworn she heard a foot tapping under the table. The second she closed the menu, her mother waved a finger at the server. Sir, hang on, Marcia. Dad patted Darby's hand. He's coming. The server smiled. You all set? Yeah, yes. Darby's eyes had darted toward her mother, anticipating the grimace. I, I, I... With everyone's stares drying up her words, she finally pointed to the burger combo. The server took the menu. You got it, kiddo. Be right up. Honey, you want something to drink, her dad asked. Darby shook her head, tightening her lips. Better to shut up than to stutter again. Have you been practicing your breathing, her mother demanded. Without waiting for a reply, she turned with a frown to the business chart beside her plate. You'll need sharp communication skills to get anywhere. Another warning. If I stutter, I'll never be successful like my parents. Queasy with mortification, Darby had left most of her meal untouched. Now, she sat beside her camp suitcase, fiddling with her blazer. Maybe today's my lucky day and no one at the writing academy will talk to me. She reached into the suitcase to check under the outfits her mom chose, making sure her butterfly net hadn't been discovered. Nope, still there. Her eyes sparkled at the inclusion of one thing her mother hadn't authorized. As she smoothed the clothes back into place, something sweet, like the chocolate milk she couldn't manage to order last night, lingered in the air. What's that smell? Ooh, so this carnival, the ghosts, the quest. Where did the idea for the story and the characters and the setting come from? I started writing Summer of Luck decades ago. 
it was the first novel I'd ever written, much less a children's novel. And I was a writer in my work as a publicist. So I wrote press releases and bios and all kinds of, you know, basically nonfiction. So I knew how to write. And I really thought that perhaps being that kind of writer would be, I'd be easy to write a kid's book. (laughs) Not so much. And it took me many, many years to really make Summer of Luck into a book that, that a publisher wanted to publish. But I was a big, big reader when I was a kid. And I loved reading books where there was a touch of magic in the book. And I had one favorite book about some kids who had magical adventures, kind of like my kids in in Summer of Luck. And I thought it would be kind of cool to write a book about kids finding their voices. I never stuttered. I don't have that. I don't have any of these kids' issues with communication. But I, I had stuff when I was a kid. I, you know, I was always embarrassed about this or that. And my mom, you know, tended to be a little critical and not quite as bad as Darby's mom, maybe, but but it felt like that, you know? And I wanted to write a book that would help a kid today or what was today back when I started, you know, learn how to find their voice, even in a world where it was hard and they faced difficult issues. And even though there's magic in this book, the solutions that the ghost helps the kids understand are real world solutions. Darby learns to accept her stutter and let her mom's criticism kind of wash over her and not change who she is. Naz, Naz is, you know, learns English better, but, but he's also looking for a way to make sure his mom and dad get that they don't move to America permanently. He wants to move back to Morocco with his father and he finds a way for his parents to live and work together in both locations. And Justin, you know, ends up, you know, being able to express his grief and find a way to to talk about it and let someone else know how he feels about it. So when he, you know, at the end of the summer, when he goes back home and connects with his mom again, you know, he's able to share with her and she's able to share her grief as well. So it's all the real world solutions, but the way they get there is through these different magical adventures, which I can talk about more in a bit. But as I say, I, I read a lot of books when I was a kid that helped me have realized I wasn't the only one who felt this way or that way. Or, you know, I, I used to be very embarrassed about all my freckles. You can't really see them now, but, or you can, but, but they're not anywhere near the way they were when I was a kid. And people used to call me freckle face names and things like that. And I hated that. And then here's a book about a girl who hated her freckles too, like me. And I I just felt like those, you know, having books for kids to read that would help them, you know, not feel alone and realize that there were a lot of solutions to things they may not be able to figure out. That's where I got this idea. I went to summer camp when I was a kid, sleepaway camp, and I always loved that experience. And I wanted to sort of recreate that. And so a lot of my descriptions of the cabins and things like that are very much like my, the camp cabins, very much like my, my summer camp. And, you know, just this idea of like a magical figure that would help these kids where their, their families really couldn't help them at that point in their lives, you know, just to have that kind of 
adult guidance, even if it came from somebody who had, you know, who was a ghost and had died years before. But as I say, all of the connections that they make are real world connections. They end up connecting with with Mr. Usher's adult children who are, you know, who want to, one of them wants to raise the warehouse and sell it to developers. Whereas what Mr. Usher wants is he wants for the camp to assume ownership of the warehouse, rebuild all his rides and make it part of the camp. And that's ultimately what happens. Thanks to Darby, Justin and Naz. And, you know, it's, it's an intricate story. So I, I won't go into all the details, but it's a lot of fun adventures that they have and a lot of overcoming their the things that hold them back. Oh, that's wonderful. Could we have another reading, please? Yeah. So the next reading is where Dar before she she actually or she she has met Justin and Naz, but she had gone to the warehouse the summer before with a friend of hers. And they had almost, they had seen this warehouse and it's this big orange warehouse that is very unusual. It's, you know, in, in, in the sort of this camp is situated in a very remote area in Michigan in the United States. And she had seen it and she sort of felt drawn to it. But before she and her friend could find a way to get in, their counselor found them. So they couldn't, she's determined to go back this year, but her friend they forgot about the whole thing, doesn't want to have anything to do with it. So Darby decides to go by herself. So her cabin mates are on a, a picnic nearby, and she decides to sneak away and see what she can do. Darby's feet crunched on the pebble-filled path. Flowering bushes and maple trees surrounded her on both sides, their leaves rustling in the balmy breeze. The farther she went, the more overgrown the curving path became. She slowed to gulp some water from her canteen. Should I be doing Operation Luck alone? Alone, it echoed in her head. You're alone far too much. The words stung as if her mother shouted reprimands from the branches of every tree Darby passed. Her throat tightened at the memory of their recent argument. She had sought refuge in her bedroom, slamming the door so hard that one of her writing trophies toppled off the shelf. When her dad came, Darby ran to him, burying her face in his shirt. Why does she hate me? He'd gathered her in his arms, holding her on his lap in the rocking chair, as if she were still a small child. We both want the best for you, sweetie. Sometimes that ends up different from the way we mean it to sound, he said. I don't believe you, Darby had sobbed. She never does anything wrong. She's perfect. Honey, your mom's not perfect. No one is. Well, she acts like she is. Darby had wiped away tears. Chattering blackbirds and blue jays pulled her back to her surroundings. The scent of wintergreen berries, bluebells, and wild sassafras from the bushes restored her resolve to continue by herself. She walked a bit faster up a steep incline, removing her official camp-inch sweatshirt and tying it around her thin waist. At the hilltop, one sign pointing left read, Camp Inch via White Falls Highway, one quarter mile east. Another, pointing right, cautioned, Private Property. Her pulse quickened. She followed it past the bushes and trees. Below her, 
an orange football field sized building dressed up with castle like turrets at each corner rose several stories high. Darby smiled with glee. I found it. Massive green letters spelling out L U C K were painted on its side, glowing brighter than ever. A surrounding field stone wall led eastward toward camp. She hurried down to a spot beside the immense wall where 10 golden horseshoes sat lodged in concrete. Same as when Monica and I found them last year. The sun glinted on a colorless glass circle embedded above the horseshoes. They'd rushed too much last time to notice the lines inscribed on it. Now she knelt to read what they said. All that we give comes back to benefit ourselves. Hmm. With no time to figure that out, she placed her feet inside two of the horseshoes, like last year. Her heart pounding, she waited anxiously for the faint rumbling she and Monica had heard, or perhaps imagined. Will it even work without Monica? The ground trembled ever so slightly beneath her. She shivered with relief. Yes, I feel it. Last year, their counselor came after them to end the adventure before it began. This time, the rumbling got louder. Darby ducked to avoid the small rocks and dust that fell from the stone wall looming above her head. Grating and creaking accompanied deep vibrations inside the field stone. A Darby-sized section swung out on hinges, exposing a latch chain fastened to an old wooden door. She tried to remember to breathe, or how to breathe. Overcoming the urge to back away, she yanked the chain, pushed the door open, and strained to see. For a few seconds, semi-darkness that lay beyond kept her cemented in place. Finally. Anticipation conquered her apprehension. I can't stop now. Electrified, Darby squared her shoulders and stepped inside. (laughs) It does sound quite fun. So what does a carnival make possible in terms of the story, the scenes that you're able to develop, the setting, the adventures the characters can have? Every time Darby and Naz and Justin go to the carnival at Mr. Usher's invitation. They have, they each have some kind of lesson to learn. The lesson that Naz learns is he gets to realize that he gets to visit his father magically in Morocco. They all head there and they get to sort of see Morocco. And and that was, you know, a fun adventure just to even write and research what Morocco on a, in a market in Morocco would look like. And Naz learns to, um, comes up with an idea where he can potentially reunite his parents if he communicates his idea to them. And Justin, Justin's adventure is set in a hall of mirrors where he sees all these possibilities, including he has the actual opportunity in a magical way to say goodbye to his father, who he never had got to say goodbye to. And Darby's adventure is where she actually learns her mother herself stutters and she never knew that. And she was outraged by that. And Mr. Usher helps her see that we all have things that we're 
embarrassed about, but there's no reason to be embarrassed about them. And Darby learns to have some compassion for her mom. So those are the the kind of adventures. That adventure takes place on a, I, I just made up a lot of different rides and things, but I, I just kind of pictured what would, if I could make up a carnival ride and it could take me anywhere, what would I want? And that was the fun of writing this book was I didn't, you know, I had this overarching theme of I wanted the kids to be able to find their voices and have this magical carnival really change their world. But as I wrote is how these things came up. And, you know, my very first draft of this book, it was all very bland and, you know, it all took place kind of in the, in the carnival. And, and I got a lot of writing help over the years. I used a development editor for a while and he helped me sort of, he said, open your fist, you know, and think of all whatever you want and let your mind go wherever it, it goes. So, so that was extremely helpful. And instead of just having this very brief scene that, you know, took place, I learned to write in such a way as to, as to open my fist. It's a lesson I continue to learn today. I have critique partners now who other writers who are unbelievably helpful with reading my work and commenting on it. And I do the same with them. And just uh, the other day, I, in my current book that I'm writing, I found out that, you know, oh, I need to expand the scene. Somebody wants to see what actually happened instead of me just saying, oh, this happened, you know? So, so it's, it's a skill that continues to develop. But anyway, back to summer block, you know, by the end of the book, these, these kids' worlds are all changed. Oh, wonderful. Could we have our last reading, please? In this scene, Darby's really frustrated because she can't, she hasn't heard from Mr. Usher and she's worried. She's worried about what's happening. She's, she's trying to stop being intimidated by these twins who are always making fun of her, not for her stutter, just for whatever. And her, a, a friend of hers asked her to, or suggested that she just ignore them. So she's trying to practice that. So this is set at a camp, a campfire at night. They've just roasted marshmallows and they're going to start looking for things, stars in the sky. Hurry and finish, called Counselor Rochelle. We'll be starting sky games in a minute. We'll look for a Moraga moth too, won't we, asked Darby? Not for the first time that day. Sure, we can try, but they're super rare. While the wild strawberries scanned the sky to identify Orion and other constellations, Darby felt for the butterfly net she'd secured to her belt. She scoured the cookout's area ring of tall lights, all surrounded by buzzing insects. Last year, when she spotted a Moraga moth in this same area, its iridescent reds, greens, violets, yellows, and blues had dazzled her to dizziness, kind of like when we flew on Mr. Usher's trolley for the first time. After Rochelle's sky game, she directed the girls to a table laid with supplies for a lightning bug search. Counselor Sally handed out flashlights and mason jars. They can't see blue light, she said, tearing off pieces of the colored plastic wrap. So cover your flashlight with this and you won't scare them off. With everyone equipped, the girls started toward the trees, but Darby wrinkled her nose in distaste. Fireflies don't belong in jars. Chattering voices echoed in the crisp night air, while spooky blue beams darted around the trees. I got one, yelled Austin. 
I mean, I think I do, she added. Darby winced as her bunkmate slammed the top down on the jar. I've got 10 already, said June, her container flickering with frenzied pin-sized amber lights. To Darby, the bugs seemed desperate to escape. Let them go. Let them go, she pleaded. They can't breathe. Don't freak out, June retorted. It's okay, said Rochelle. They can live in the jar for a while, especially since we put wet towels on the bottom for humidity. We'll free them before too long. As the others wandered on, Jessica set a jar on the ground near Darby. Unless, of course, someone is clumsy enough to knock over the jar and the lid comes off, she snickered. And the bugs crawl out, June joined in, and someone happens to step on them. Wouldn't that be terribly sad? You're absolutely right. It could happen, added Jessica with a leer. Darby's face darkened in fury. But with Monica's advice to ignore taunts still fresh, she gritted her teeth. Gathering all the restraint she could muster, she turned away. Surprised, the twins shrugged, picked up the jar, and joined the others. Briefly consoled by her unfamiliar achievement, Darby stood alone for a minute, then snuck back to the cookout area where a few logs still smoldered in the fire pit. When she stabbed them with a long stick, an exploding shower of sparks revived the flames. She perched on a low stump, pulled the blue wrap off her flashlight, and pointed it skyward, her butterfly net in place. Not to capture the maraga moth, only to hold it for a quick glimpse. The night was quiet and still, except for a low murmur of voices and a loud screech every now and then from one of the girls. Darby searched every source of illumination, her eyes roaming from the light poles to her flashlight to the fire pit and back again. Shivering after the fourth round, she just about gave up searching for the Moraga moth when the fire's flames brightened shooting sparks high into the air. Wait, those aren't sparks. Darby rose, no longer cold. She left her butterfly net on the stump and her flashlight on the ground, heading for the fire where hundreds, maybe thousands of lightning bugs hovered over the logs. They blinked on and off like turn signals. Soon, they formed cylinders and rose above the pit. Darby held her breath as the spiraling brightness merged into an astonishing mass that moved toward her. She backed up, stumbling a bit, but kept her balance. Where are you going, she asked, not really expecting an answer. The fireflies circled past. Her expectant eyes were glued to the glowing insects. They headed for the stump, swirling in and out of her net. Seconds later, they dissolved in the darkness. Darby exhaled, tingling in awe. When she grabbed her butterfly net, a small slip of paper fluttered to the ground. Her heart pounding, she pointed the flashlight to read its red type. All things are possible. Keep going, signed Leroy Usher. Oh, so where can we buy Summer of Luck? Summer of Luck is available wherever books are sold. And you can also check my website, which is laurastegman.com. And there'll be all kinds of information there. Oh, wonderful. Laura, thank you so much for being our guest and reading to us and talking to us about the book. Well, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. It was fun to revisit.